Last December, I shared with you my planning process. And in episode 30, I linked to a short workbook I designed called The Grounded Academic Leader. A lot of you nabbed that workbook then and have found it useful. And I thought this would be a great time of year to revisit it since the workbook guides you to plan for a year and then revisit and recalibrate your plans every term. It is definitely not a plan once and be done with it sort of thing. I want to revisit it now with you because as the first quarter of the year is drawing to a close, I'm revisiting my own plans. So for you, even if you plan based on an academic term that hasn't ended yet, and also a shout out to those of you on spring break, this is a great time to revisit the goals you set for the term. And even if you're not ready to revise them, you can at least schedule time into your calendar sometime when the end of your academic term is approaching, say anywhere from the middle of April to the end of May. And that will give you time to come back and do this work of revising and recalibrating your goals. So in today's episode, I'm going to take you through the basics steps of the grounded academic leader because literally I just reflected on my first term and prepared for my second term. And I will also drop a link again to the workbook so that you can grab it easily. Okay, let's dive into episode 42. and I am obsessed with all things related to women leading in higher ed. We've all been through it, told we're too vocal or too mousy, too compassionate or too bossy. We all have had to find our way as we lead within a system that historically gives its accolades and promotions to straight white men. Meanwhile, women from all backgrounds are doing exceptional work, teaching, mentoring, facilitating, guiding, and leading. And increasingly, we're finding and sharing ways to lead that allow us to integrate the demands of our rich, varied lives so that we and those we love and those we lead can thrive. Women are leading higher ed at all levels with big hearts and big brains. I'm here to share our stories as well as practical advice for deepening and extending your own leadership practice. I'm so glad you're here listening to the Uplift Podcast. All right, let's start with an overview of the Grounded Academic Leader so that you can get clear about why I suggest you plan this way. And let's start with the problem of most institutional annual planning. And if you know me in real life, you have heard this rant before, so (laughs) bear with me. Whether you are a faculty member building your dossier for promotion or even an ongoing contract, or whether you're an employee who has an annual performance review cycle, you probably go through what is, unfortunately, a nearly universal shitty experience. A once a year conversation with someone higher than you in the org chart about how you're doing at work. These conversations suck. I mean, even when they're pleasant, they suck. They're just 
downright stupid. They're high stakes. Literally, your promotion or your salary or your quote-unquote worth to the institution all gets codified in this process. But even though these conversations are high stakes, they're also useless because if you're like most of us, you'll have this conversation only once a year, which means it's really easy to forget during the year what this person who's higher than you in the org chart wants you to work on. And it's really easy to lose track of your progress. But even at a more fundamental level, if nobody is talking to you about your growth and development during the year, then the message is very clear. Nobody cares about your growth and development. I know that sounds harsh, and I'm guessing if you're in HR or you're a cabinet member, you're probably cringing right about now and hoping I would just shut up. But the truth is, as humans, we tend to pay attention to the things that matter to us. So the things we ignore, we ignore because they don't matter. Or sometimes we ignore them because they matter so much, but we're scared to do anything about them. But either way, you've got fear or irrelevance undergirding your annual review process. And both of those situations just really suck. I have tried to fight this (laughs) suckiness for a long time. And over the years, I've instituted with honestly with varying levels of success, quarterly conversations with my teams about our team annual goals and their individual annual goals. Now with some teams, we found a great rhythm and system But with other teams, we've really struggled. I mean, I'll be straight up about that. The truth is, though, at the end of the day, the fact that we keep focusing on revisiting goals, even if it's revisiting them to figure out how to have a better system, the fact that we revisit our goals throughout the year is actually enough to keep the goals fresh in our minds. And that's what I want for you. I want a system that keeps you in touch with what you're actually trying to accomplish. So what I've put together in The Grounded Academic Leader is based on my personal favorite practices as a leader, as a supervisor, as someone who has kind of high-level strategic responsibility, and also as a human being who is a mother, a partner, a recreational athlete, and honestly, as somebody who needs to sleep more. The process in The Grounded Academic Leader makes space for all those aspects of your life that you want to keep an eye on and it encourages you to revisit your goals and your focus every few months. So that's a big piece of the high-level view. But post-pandemic, we've learned we need more than that. Since March of 2020, but especially since January of 2022, I've learned some things about how I spend my time, and I've incorporated those into this workbook for you as well. So personally, I'm not super interested in time management per se, but I am way invested in energy management. For me, this means paying attention to the ebb and flow of my days, my weeks, my semesters, paying attention to the highs and lows of both my personal energy and my focus and attention, paying attention to things like constantly shifting my context, which destroys my focus, and also paying attention to things like getting oxygen, real oxygen, getting outside, and metaphorical oxygen, just having some breathing space. So those ways of thinking about my goals and my life are also built into the grounded academic leader. The final thing I've woven into this is a planning process that's useful not just for annual reviews and calendars, but literally for any project you want to undertake. It's based on backward design, and if you've worked with me, you're familiar with this. You articulate the ultimate impact or change you're trying to make, and then you identify three to four outcomes that, if you achieved them, would naturally create that change. Then you figure out what you can measure, what benchmarks or milestones you can set that will tell you you're making progress towards those particular outcomes. 
And then, and only then, once you know what you're measuring, do you decide what you're actually going to do. That way, you're always choosing your activities based on knowing that how you spend your time is going to give you clear evidence you're making progress towards the outcomes you've established for yourself. I love this design process for lots of reasons, mostly though because it gets us out of the la-la land of squishy aspirational goals that aren't meaningful, and it makes us focus on doing things that actually matter to us. This process is extremely useful when you're planning a project or initiative with a big group of people, all of whom want to be busy, 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 because, right, that looks good. And it's easy to be really busy, busy, busy doing things that aren't making a significant impact. Now, I'm not throwing blame around. I am really critical of that approach to work, but I'm not blaming anyone because I have been that person too. And let's be honest, higher ed rewards you for being busy, busy, busy. American culture rewards you for being busy, busy, busy. But man, it's crazy making, right? So this process stops that hamster wheel and it ensures that when you're busy, you're busy doing meaningful things that are making the change or the impact you want to see. And that is why I love this process. It helps you design your time around your energy. It keeps your energy focused on your goals. And it ensures that your activities are giving you evidence you're making progress on the goals you've set. Then the final step that we layer into this process is we quit acting like it's enough to have this conversation once a year. And we develop the discipline of having this conversation, even if you're only talking to yourself on a regular rhythm throughout the year. So even if you report to somebody who doesn't want quarterly reviews, even if your institution really wants to stick to its annual performance review cycle, all that's fine. And you can take the initiative of revisiting your goals using a regular process on a regular basis in a way that keeps you focused and gets you where you want to go. So those are the foundations of my approach, accounting for all aspects of your life, planning your days with the rhythms of your life and energy in mind, choosing purposeful activities that give you evidence you're accomplishing the things you've set your sights on, and then checking in with yourself a few times a year so you can revisit and recalibrate what you're doing. So let's jump into the workbook, shall we? If you don't have a copy yet, you can grab it at the website, www.theclariogroup.com forward slash grounded. It's also linked in the show notes. If you did work through this workbook once already earlier in the year, then go grab that copy. It's designed so you can pick up right where you left off. But let's start our conversation with those of you going through the workbook for the first time. So you're going to start by reflecting on the past. You can reflect on the full past year or what's behind you in the academic year. If you started this last fall, then you probably reflected on all of 2022, and you can do that now. You can reflect on the academic year to date, or you can even reflect on the calendar year. You know, what's happened in the last few months. Reflect on a portion of time that makes sense to you. And you're going to spend time reflecting on four things what you've accomplished, what you quit doing, what you've started doing, and who supports you in the changes you're making. So basically, this opening reflection is a chance for you to take inventory of your recent past so that you can celebrate the ways you kicked butt, you can acknowledge what you've learned and let go of, and you can get intentional about building the support of some of your besties into your goals. 
Then you'll move into the backward design phase. Now, I ask you to reflect first because I promise you, I know this from personal experience and also from working with others on this exact process, you will identify a better ultimate goal and impact as well as outcomes that produce that goal if you reflect first. There's something about the fact of reflecting, the way it grounds us and sparks memory and aids recall and helps us identify our feelings. All of that will help you identify more meaningful goals than if you just sit down randomly and put pen to paper, which by the way is a pretty typical thing to have happen in a typical annual review process. And that is what we're moving away from. Okay, so you've reflected and now you're in the backward design stage. Here, you're going to name one thing, just one big thing that you want to look different a year from now. One big, hairy, beautiful, ambitious, life-affirming thing. Mine might be getting my dogs not to bark while I'm podcasting. (laughs) Anyway, then you imagine the world where that thing is true and you figure out what three things, if they came to pass, would produce that world. And those three things are, you know, it can be four things, those three or four things, those are your outcomes. And then for each outcome, you're going to list some benchmarks or milestones. You're going to ask yourself, what can I easily measure along the way that will tell me I'm making meaningful progress toward those outcomes I set? And then finally, only once you know what you're measuring, not before, then you decide your activities. Literally, the things you're going to do, the things that are how you spend your time in order to choose activities that produce the measurements you want so that you'll always know that you're on track towards your goals. So none of this is rocket science, and if you teach, you've likely used backward design in your courses or programs. The key to backward design and goal setting, though, is the insertion of benchmarks. You don't just jump into activities that you think will get you to your goal. You actually slow down and make sure that your activities will produce the benchmarks you want. You choose to do the things that you've identified will provide visible evidence of your progress. And this, my friends, is key. Literally, it is the key to your success. Okay, once you've worked through the backward design process, you'll be able to see what you want to do with your year because you'll know what you're trying to change. You'll know what change you're trying to produce and you'll know how you'll know you're on track as you go. Only once you've got a handle on all that is it worth focusing on the path that will get you there. So at this point in the workbook, you're going to break down your benchmarks by choosing which of them you're going to work on next. Which ones are you going to work on this term? And that won't be all of them, right? This isn't crazy land. We are not back in March of 2020 when we all ran around doing all the things because the world was imploding. P.S. If you still have that habit, break it. This is the time to break it. And this process will help you break it. You're going to choose just a few things that you want to measure next. What evidence of progress is most helpful or useful to you in the coming weeks or months? Be rigorous in this process. Be disciplined. Choose only a few things. And then once you've decided on those few things, those few benchmarks, then you'll decide which activities. You already listed activities for those benchmarks, right? Pull from your list of activities and decide which ones you're going to be busy with during the next term in order to get to the benchmarks you want. So the backward design process is a way of making you focus on a few benchmarks, right? a few outcomes, a few benchmarks, a few activities, and then you're going to pull from those. You're going to choose from those which you're going to work on in this coming period of time. 
So you can see how this works. You've named a lofty ambition that matters to you. You've identified how you'll gauge your progress. And then you've chosen just a few of the most important milestones to work on. And that tells you how you should spend your time. So you're halfway there, my friend. You're clear on what you're going to do with your time. Now we shift to energy. And I don't mean energy in a spiritual sense. You can absolutely layer that into your process. Here by energy, I simply mean when you feel energetic and when you feel depleted during the day. Which days of the week do you have more energy to work on what kinds of things? What's the ebb and flow of your month? When are your downtimes? When are your busy times? When are you depleted? And so on. Now the bridge from the plan you developed in that backward design process to thinking about your energy. So we're going to go from plan to energy. The bridge connecting those two is a little bit more reflection. So the next thing the workbook does is guide you through a few short prompts that help you think about how you're going to celebrate your accomplishments, what you're going to say no to, and who is going to help you recharge. So you did the backward design and the planning. You've done some reflecting about your energy. Now we're across the bridge and all that philosophical stuff is behind us. This could be where you stop your planning. And in many kind of traditional planning processes, this would be where you stop. But us, we are not done. About a decade ago, I hit a point in my leadership where I thought that Machiavelli's book, The Prince, would be good for me to read. (laughs) I was so wrong. I hated it. It was awful. I tried really hard to get through it, and I failed. So when I saw Machiavelli for Women on the bookstore shelf, the last thing I believed was that Machiavelli could teach me anything useful about being a woman and leading well. I mean, as it is, I already hate all the politicking and back-channeling and pretending to get along that we associate with Machiavelli. Heck, forget politicking. I don't even like small talk. How useful could it be for me to learn how to machinate in the workplace simply because I'm a woman? Ugh. Once again, I was wrong. But this time, I loved the book. It was fantastic. I raced my way through it on Audible. I went straight out and bought a hard copy. And then I read the whole damn thing again. I keep recommending it to my friends, especially those who share stories of gender bias with me. So I want to share an excerpt from the book. So the book is by Stacey Vanek-Smith, and she quotes Machiavelli throughout the book. Here's one thing she says. Let it be noted that there is no more delicate matter to take in hand, no more dangerous to conduct, no more doubtful in its success than to set up as a leader in the introduction of change. For he who innovates will have for his enemies all those who are well off under the existing order of things, and only lukewarm supporters in those who might be better off under the new. This lukewarm temper arises partly from the fear of adversaries who have the law on their side, and partly from the incredulity of mankind, who will never admit the merits of anything new until they have seen it proved by their event. Smith goes on to say, if I were to translate Machiavelli's sentiments into modern English, I would say this, changing a system is really hard and you will probably fail. The old guard will freak out because they have so much to lose and the people who would benefit from the change will waffle because they're scared and skeptical of how much they really would benefit, even if you did manage to pull off this crazy hat trick. If you're a woman who works and you are eager to support all women at work, Machiavelli for Women is the ultimate battle guide for our times. 
So let's read it together and talk about it. I'm hosting a book discussion on March 24th at 12 p.m. That's noon, central. The book discussion is free. I want you to register ahead of time so I can send you a link to join us. You can register at the website, www.theclariogroup.com forward slash Machiavelli. I'll drop the registration link in the show notes here, and I'll also plaster it on social media as well. So grab your copy of Stacey Vanek Smith's book, Machiavelli from Women. Grab it from your neighborhood bookstore. Grab it from Amazon or Audible or even from your local library. And then join us on Friday, March 24th for a book discussion about making work a better place for all women. See you there. All right, so we crossed that bridge, the philosophical stuff is behind us, and now we're going to do the thing that the pandemic taught us. You're going to dig into your calendar and design it so that your days, your weeks, and your months reflect the priorities you just established. This next section of the workbook walks you through setting up your calendar. The basic concept here, though, is that you organize your calendar ahead of time to reflect all your priorities. And I don't mean everything in your backward design. I mean your life, your family's needs, your vacation time, your work deadlines or your publishing deadlines, the day you're going to schedule into your calendar because you need to recuperate after your grades are in or when or once commencement is finally over or that board meeting is complete. You're going to put all of that into your calendar. If you're like most of us, your calendar is visible to lots of people, many of whom will see free time on your calendar and they will snatch it up. And it's probably important to you that people have access to you, right? We need people to be able to schedule times to meet, to chat, to problem solve, to do all those things. So your calendar is visible, which means it also needs to tell the truth. Your calendar needs to tell the truth of your time and availability. If you're not available, your calendar should show that. And I don't just mean it should show when you have meetings. There are lots of things besides meetings that take up your time. And all of those are part of the truth of your availability. This means that your calendar needs to be honest about what you need in your life, not just what you're able to give to others. We live in a culture that tells us what other people want from us is more important than what we want from and for ourselves. But honest to God, that is not true. My biggest post-pandemic lesson in self-care was to quit being so damn responsive to other people's needs and requests and to be way more careful with how much of myself I give away. That's what this whole calendar section of the workbook is built on. Your calendar can be one of your assets, one of the tools you use to design the life you want. If other people can see your free time, and we just went through this, right? They can and they should. But if they can see what looks like free time, then you have to be really clear with yourself and then with them about how much of your time is actually free. Your calendar needs to tell that truth. And this section of the workbook shows you how. Okay, so if this is your first time going through the workbook, then hooray, you're done. I mean, you're literally only halfway through the workbook, but you've done everything you need to do. You've reflected on the past, you've envisioned your future, you've designed your next steps, and you've designed your calendar to tell the truth about the things that matter to you. Now, if you've been with me for a while and this is not your first time through the workbook, then you did all that earlier. You did all that in December or January. You now get to have the fun of revising and refining what you designed last time. And this is what the second half of the workbook is about. So this last portion of the workbook has a number of sections that bridge between each term so that as one term is ending and you're preparing for the next one, you have time and space to reflect on what you've done, what you've learned, and what you want to change. 
and then you can plan your coming term accordingly. So at this point, the workbook guides you through some more reflections, and and I can't help it. I was trained to teach writing. I have learned over the years that there is a strong connection between our writing and our thinking. So when you work with me, you'll do a fair bit of writing and thinking because those things go hand in hand. Okay, so anyway, these reflections and this part of the workbook are not just a chance for you to kind of daydream, but they're actually a kind of evaluation of your progress. And that evaluation then becomes the foundation as you set your intentions for the next term based on what you learned from this term that's just ending. Maybe you'll discover that your benchmarks have changed. Maybe you got further on a project than you thought you would. Or maybe an entire outcome has evolved. This is the time in that bridge space. One term is ending and you're preparing for the next one. This is the time to make those adjustments and then design your next term set your intentions, and then wrangle your calendar to tell the truth and make space for those revisions. And one of the things I love about this process is you can do that as many times as you need. The process is identical. You can do it monthly. You can do it quarterly. You can do it by trimester or by season. You can do it twice a year for fall and spring. You can do it however you want to do it in a rhythm and a schedule that makes sense to you. And that is it. You've worked your way through a process that will keep you grounded and focused. So down in the show notes, I'm going to link to a few episodes I think you'll find helpful. I'll link to episode 29, Building a Community of Care with our guests, Julie Randolson and Alyssa Klenetich. I'll link to episode 28, How to Take a Tiny Sabbatical with guests Shelley Roeder and Sarah Moore-Noakes. I'll also link to episode 26, which I think is really important, In Community, Interracial Feminist Co-Mentoring, with guests Christina Holmgren and Jane Summers. And then, of course, I'll link to the OG episode 30, The Grounded Academic Leader. And also in the show notes, I'll link to the Grounded Academic Leader workbook, so that if you didn't grab it last December, you can grab it now. If you do want to just grab it now without going to the show notes, you can head over to the website, www.theclariogroup.com forward slash grounded and download it there. And then I want to throw something out there. As I've been thinking about the value of being disciplined around this practice of establishing goals and letting your calendar tell the truth so that you actually have the time and energy you need to meet your goals, I've been wondering whether a workshop or even an ongoing gathering where we got together to do this work in real time would be helpful. So if that sounds interesting to you, drop me a message. You can do that in the comments on the podcast. You can drop me a DM in LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, or you could just email me, carol at theclarygroup.com. Drop me a note and let me know. And if enough people want to do this, we'll set something up. So that's it for this week. As you work through this process, I want you to know I'm dying to hear what you're working on. I want to hear the goals you're setting. I want to hear the calendar adjustments you're making. And I really want to hear what you've learned this last year about valuing your priorities and creating the space and community that can make it all happen. So drop me a comment and tell me all about it. I love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening. If you've been enjoying this podcast, will you do me a solid and leave me a review? Reviews are some of the best ways for the algorithm to know how to make this show visible to more folks. So whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, take a moment, would you? Open the app, head to the show page for The Uplift, and scroll down to the reviews section. Leaving a review will not only help more women find the show, it will also help me know what you like and what you want more of. Thanks so much.
Meanwhile, thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of The Uplift, the podcast dedicated to elevating and amplifying women's leadership in higher education. Take a moment to follow. You can find me over on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also find all previous episodes with transcript, show notes, and links at my website, www.theclariogroup.com. And hey, I see you with your phone open. Come connect with me on social. You can follow the Clario Group on LinkedIn or Facebook. You can also just follow me and you'll see all the Clario Group content. And once you've followed, please drop me a DM to say hi. I'd like to know you're there. All right, that's it. I will see you next week, same time, same place for the next episode of The Uplift. Bye for now.